Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. So welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Tech podcast. I'm super excited you guys are here. Thank you for taking a chance on us. And um, I am Yvonne, and I'm super excited to be with here with my friend Jordan. Hello. <laughs> as here as here can be. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, Jordan and I, um, we are both vet tech specialists in a small animal internal medicine. That's how we met. Um, and in case you, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, what the heck all that means. But so what here means is I am in the San Francisco Bay Area, so California. And then Jordan I always forget exactly where you are. Where, where are you? So I'm in like the Hilton Head area of South Carolina, Savannah, Georgia area. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're not even in the same room, but we're going to try to make this work for you guys. Uh, we are going to start this week with kind of starting into our regular podcasting. We came up with an idea of how we want to format this and hopefully it'll work. So we're going to kind of start with the topic that we'll be discussing. We'll give you some tips of the week, um, some cautions about what we're talking about. And then we'll definitely have some resources as well for, for you to keep learning. Just in case you don't know this podcast, we are gearing towards veterinary professionals, but definitely if you're a pet parent and you want to know more about a certain subject, we're happy to have you join us. Um, we'll try to make it so that, you know, you can find out more information about things that we're discussing. Jordan, anything you, you want to talk about before we uh, dive into this week's topic? Uh, no, I mean, I'm ready to just dive right into who's who. <laughs> who's who? Oh, oh, I will say, uh, fair warning, dogs, cats, small children sometimes make their appearance. We're going to try to keep them out of here as much as possible, but you know, sometimes, sometimes they just appear. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, what we will be talking about this week so we're gonna we're basically going to talk about super basics of veterinary medicine as far as like the profession goes and 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 what the heck it means to be you know working in our field. So both Jordan and I are credentialed veterinary technicians in the United States. We're called technicians. Um, in some other places in the world, uh, they are called nurses. So England, uh, Australia, their their titles are nurses, uh, veterinary nurses. And and so we just wanted to kind of go quick quick overview, brief history of uh, veterinary medicine and veterinary technicians specifically, because you know everybody talks about the doctors, but we veterinary technicians were were or what keeps the hospital going. So we we found this really cool article and we'll put we'll put the link to it in the show notes as well. And that basically so the difference between human medicine and veterinary medicine is veterinary medicine is is fairly new. You know, people have had animals in the in in their worlds, you know, working for them, but but really it wasn't until kind of the 1900s where the idea of 
dogs, cats, you know, have, has been more of taking care of them. Um, definitely late 1900s for, you know, companion animal type stuff. So interesting fact, in 1908, Canine Nurses Institute in England was formed. And they're kind of the very first program that is not just towards veterinary doctors, but actually the, the you know, I don't know if it's, is it considered paraprofessional? I would, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like supporting staff. And, supporting staff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I thought that was kind of interesting that it was in 1908. Yeah, I so. can't believe, like, I, I'm i surprised yeah, I was like, that it oh. wasn't sooner. <laughs> yeah, which, because we, we were joking about this earlier. We were like, well, when the heck was human nursing established? Well, apparently in the Roman era in 300 AD, so, uh, yeah, we have a little bit of, of catching up to do. Yeah, nurses have a couple years on us. <laughs> um, then in, in the United States, the first veterinary training or technician training, although they, didn't, they still didn't call it te- veterinary technician until apparently 1989 was when they first officially adopted the term. So in the 60s, it was still considered, you know, a veterinary assistant training program. And that's when, the, when they really were established in the United States. In uh, 1967, the AVMA, which stands for the American Veterinary Medical Association, they actually started credentialing veterinary technician programs. But again, it wasn't called that yet. Um, so really in the late 60s is when we started seeing programs for assistance, yeah. uh, which is crazy to me. <laughs> it is crazy. Like it took, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it, they started training people to actually do what we do every day now. Because, yeah, I was going to say, because how, how long is that? That's 50... That's 52 years. 52 years. That's it. I mean, yeah. that's, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah. It's, it's a little unreal. Yeah. Like I've, ew, I'm really, you just think it would be longer that, I mean, like people were caring for animals obviously prior to that, but like to actually, our career is still in its baby phase. Oh, for sure. For sure. So. Which is crazy because I've been doing this since 2003. So <laughs> like a third of the time that our career has really been there yeah is how long i've been in the field which is insane yeah that's um, yeah yeah and it, and it really does explain why there's so many changes that are happening that are amazing and crazy and and why it's changing so quickly which is which is cool for us yeah but and then i think it also helps explain to why like i mean even from the client aspect we we have that argument of technician versus assistant and what do we do? But I mean, the career hasn't been around long enough for people to understand. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's really, not only has it not been around enough, but I think just establishing some of those communications too, like, yeah. you know, I don't know about you, but every time I talk to like friends and family, they have no clue what I'm doing. And I always no have to be like, oh, well, it's kind of like a nurse, but for animals. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Plus plus a lot more because, you know, in the human field, they they chop everything up into little pieces. Yeah. Um, whereas we kind of do it all. Yeah, and multiple species. I'll just give us credit on that. Oh, yeah, legit, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I've definitely, I don't know about you, but um, I joke all the time that if 
if, you know, there was a zombie apocalypse, I would definitely have my best friend who's a veterinarian be on my team because because she'd be able to treat us all, right? For sure. For sure. I mean, (laughs) it just comes with the territory of like, we know multiple species that if a zombie apocalypse happens, we'll make it the A team. Right. <laughs> so true. So, uh, so yeah, so our, our professions babies phases, which is awesome. So we are hoping to help, help advance our profession, you know, get some more information out there. Everybody in the veterinary field has an important specific job. So I think it's just a matter of informing people what that job actually is. Very, very true. So to go along with that, um, we're going to talk about kind of who's who in a veterinary clinic. There's many levels and I actually, I don't even know if I would call them levels. I, mm-hmm. I would call them just different positions, right? Because yeah. I don't know about you, but I make it a point to try my best not to upset my front staff. Definitely. <laughs> Cause they make my schedule. So I try not to make them mad. You know, and, and it's so it's anywhere from front staff all the way to, you know, the technicians, the doctors, management. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about those different levels and just kind of job responsibilities, I guess, is a good way to kind of talk yeah. about it. All right. Who's who in the veterinary clinic? So the first person we kind of we kind of already said that this is gonna be your front office, front staff. They can be called a receptionist at the clinic or well at the hospital that I work at. We call them client service coordinators. Mm-hmm. The fancy term. I don't know what what their title is where you're at. Uh, we kind of waver back and forth between receptionist and client service representatives, but yeah. as long as they feel like it's, some people don't like the term reception, and I don't really know why it's an important job, but we we go along with what how people feel. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I think too there, I think part of it is a receptionist. It's kind of like saying technician versus nurse, right? Like yeah. the receptionist to me, I see them in like an office and not doing yeah. a lot of the other stuff that our front staff is really doing, which is, yes, they are client facing, but they're also dealing with incoming phone calls, directing people, checking people in, checking people out. I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff that they do. Yeah. And they definitely yeah. get overlooked. Oh, for sure. For sure. Having a really strong person in your front staff, front office, I think makes and breaks your day. Definitely. Because I mean, being in the front office makes or breaks your day just based on like how clients handle situations, how your front office staff handles situations. It's, it's stressful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they get the brunt of it a lot of times. Very much so. Like money, especially you know, not getting records or getting records, but not the right records. I mean, they get the brunt of most of the complaints. So, uh, yes. unfortunately. So uh, basically what Jordan and I are both trying to say is we love you, front staff, receptionists. Thank you for making our jobs easier. And we're Definitely. really sorry that we don't make your job easier. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's one of the hardest jobs in the clinic. <laughs> Oh, for yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I and underappreciated. Very underappreciated. But they do have a day now that we should definitely celebrate. Oh, I don't remember exactly true. when front office day is, but I know they have a day. 
This is true. We'll have to, we'll have to find that. Then, so what, you know, after the front staff, kind of what happens after that is typically you're going to have either a veterinary assistant or a veterinary technician that, you know, takes a pet and their owner into a room, gets history, gets vitals potentially either in the room or in the treatment area. And is that next point of contact? We definitely should discuss you know, the difference between a veterinary assistant and a veterinary technician or nurse. The biggest difference is licensing or credentialing. Mm -hmm. So I know in California where I'm at, it's the credentialed technician is a registered veterinary technician or an RVT. Mm -hmm. Where, what is it where you're at? So I'm licensed in South Carolina and Georgia and they're both different, which is a little crazy because they're the same thing. But, um, South Carolina, I'm a licensed veterinary technician, so I'm an LVT, but in Georgia, I'm a registered veterinary technician. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So the United States currently, and this is 2019 when we're, when we're recording this, currently there's four titles, I believe, and, and it's state dependent. So there's registered veterinary technician, RVT, a licensed veterinary technician, LVT, credentialed veterinary technician CVT. Mm -hmm. And then I believe it is a licensed veterinary medical technician. There's, there's another one. I think so, but I'm not, I, that's, that one's like the rare one. Yeah. I think it's just one state and I'm going to look this up. So yeah, so there are four. So the fourth one is a licensed veterinary medical technician, and that is only in Tennessee. <laughs> so the Tennessee decided to go with LVMT. The other, there is, I believe, one or two states currently that do not have credentialing with the state. Correct. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head which ones they are, but we'll put a link in the notes for the list of which state in case you want to check that out. And then outside of the United States, we were talking about this, is um, the term veterinary nurse. So I know in, in Great Britain, Australia, it is a registered veterinary nurse. You know, it just depends on what governing body you are dealing with as far as what your credentialing is. And why is that a big deal, right? That, like, that's what people talk about. I know in California, there's very specific tasks that an assistant cannot do that a technician can. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can get this right off the top of my head. So in California, we can apply splints and casts. Yeah. Um, we can suture existing tissues, gingiva, so gum and sub-Q and skin. Mm -hmm. We can induce anesthesia, whereas an assistant is not supposed to induce anesthesia, but they can, they can monitor. They're just not supposed to induce because, again, that is the most critical time is induction of anesthesia. And then the fourth one... Let's see. What is the fourth one? Mm. Are you guys allowed to do synthesis? Because I know some states don't allow that. Totally fine in California. Okay. Yeah. And I know, like, I know our state, like in Georgia, like you have to, you are required to be licensed to um, intubate, which is like not induction. It's like, it's like its own separate thing. So mm. 
that's definitely a touchy area where we do have those non-credential technicians um, intubating patients and it's actually not allowed to be that way. Wow, that's great. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I think at Cal, I don't know if they, I don't know if they separated that out. I know, I mean, like around here, like our assistants, what technicians are supposed to be the ones like placing catheters and drawing blood and technicians are really, I mean, assistants are really there to assist us and the doctor with like holding, cleaning of our treatment areas and cleaning of our cages and just patient management of just like their overall stay at the hospital. Mm -hmm. But they're definitely very important. But I do agree with the guidelines that there should be in place between the difference of a veterinary technician and a assistant. Yeah. And I think, I think the biggest part of that too is, you know, it's up to the individual clinic and hospital, Mm -hmm. whether or not they enforce it. Um, Because if they're not enforcing it, you know, that, that, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, And without clients or pet owners really asking, Hey, who's inducing my pet's anesthesia and why, why in the world they would ask that? Yeah, exactly. There's not enough education out there for the general public to know that that's a question that they might, that they may should ask, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's up to us to, you know, inform them, Hey, we legally follow the rules and we have technicians registered, licensed, credentialed. I'm going to say credentialed because yeah, just easiest um, credentialed technician doing the specific tasks that they can do that an assistant can, and that yeah. doesn't mean that an assistant's any less worthy. It just means no, that definitely not specific things that they're not legally supposed to do. Same as you know, technicians, we're not legally supposed to do doctor jobs. Um, yeah, exactly. We're not legally allowed to be prescribing and initiating surgery. So <laughs> yeah, as I say, it's uh, prescribing medications, making a prognosis or a diagnosis, like we're not allowed to do that. And, you know, surgery is the other big thing. So there's, there's specific things that only veterinarians can do that we're not allowed to do, you know, outside. And of I think as, things. I think as the general public becomes more aware of this field, I mean, obviously, as we stated, like a field so young, that as the general public becomes more aware, then they should become more aware of what a doctor does versus what a technician does versus what an assistant does. Just like I know now from frequent hospital visits of like, I should have an anesthesiologist like assist in my induction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think we're getting to the place where in the larger metropolitan areas, you know, we, we have the luxury of some of this stuff and it trickles down. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just education and knowing what's available, what, what should be happening and, and getting people on board with it. Right. Yes. So I guess to kind of go through then, aside from getting into the nitty gritty details, so veterinary assistants, they can obtain like a certification or a certificate. They aren't required to by any sort of state. At least I don't believe so. I don't believe veterinary assistants that there's a state mandated thing for that. No. no, it's just like the extra program you can take in order to like help get your foot in the door or just improve your restraint skills and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because they are good at restraining. They are able to assist in x-rays, at least the ones that I've worked with. Yeah. 
And then veterinary technicians or nurses are required, well, most of them are required in order to obtain a license to go to an accredited school, whether getting an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. But that's not required in every state, I don't believe. I, I believe that in order to sit for the exam, yes, to become credentialed, you have to, I, I believe you still have to go to like an AVMA accredited school. Yeah. So I that would fall on those states that don't require any sort of credentialing. Yeah. You wouldn't have to take your VT and E. Yeah. Yeah. And then veterinarians obviously have a doctorate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do a lot of school. We don't do nearly as much school, but um, no. Yeah. No. And even human nurses, like some of them do a lot more schooling than we do. Oh yeah, for sure. And then, and, and in human nursing, they have even more like distinctions, like mm-hmm. there's medical assistant, I don't know. I don't, I know that there's different levels. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, like, oh, exactly. you're a registered nurse. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's those. And then what Jordan and I, the reason, you know, we're kind of doing the small animal internal medicine thing is we've chosen in our careers to work in a specialty clinic and get our specialty credential. We both have a VTS, so a veterinary technician specialty credential in small animal internal medicine. And what that is, it's uh, at least a two-year process. <laughs> Sometimes it's a very a stressful two-year process. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing this out of the goodness of your own heart because it's not like there's school for it. Yeah. In your own free time, you know? Like <laughs> <laughs> If you're really lucky and the place you work at, sometimes you can work on it there and during slow time, but most of the times not. So it's it's a pretty involved process. There, so the the organization that kind of keeps track of all these is NAVTA, which is the North American Veterinary Technician Association. And there's, I think we counted today, there's currently 16 specialties. Mm-hmm. Every year, I feel like they get more and more new ones. Yeah. <laughs> so we are under internal medicine, and then we do small animal internal medicine. There's large animal, and then under internal medicine, there's also cardiology, neurology, oncology. And then, I, think, I think that's us, right? Yeah, the five of us? Yeah. Yeah, that's it, five. And so we, 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 you know, we have to have so many hours in that specialty then we do case logs, case reports. We have a list of tasks that we must be proficient in, letters of recommendation. And then, I mean, well, the application process itself is just grueling um, <laughs> and yeah. nerve wracking. and So much fun. Yeah. <laughs> if that gets approved, then you have the lucky chance to actually sit for a big test. It's great. Yeah, the test. I don't know about you, but I... Uh, I I had a beer after that test because yeah nothing like day drinking after something like that <laughs> <laughs> right we went we all went straight to the bar <laughs> yeah I I went to the bar and I said anybody want to meet up with me and a couple of people did which was great <laughs> yeah well we had our wonderful study group I will give a shout out to them because without them I'm not sure we would have all made it through this process it was amazing. Yeah, um, your your study group was pretty awesome actually. I think was, I think everybody passed right. Yeah, it, it was really, really great. Um, yeah, everybody in our study group passed the test, and it was just nice to go through that stressful of an experience with other people. 
Yeah, it's funny because Ashley and Ashley Dupree, she um, she's part of Internal Medicine for Pet Parents, and she'll be on the the podcast at some point as well. She and I actually took the test the same year, and it was kind of similar thing where we were studying mm-hmm. together, and and we you know we hung out. Yeah, it makes it nice because then after the fact, we're all like we still chat, and it's been how long have it, we took the test in June? So yeah, so it's been three two four months. months, two months. Right? No, three months. Three, three months, months today. Ah, oh, three months today. Ah. Oh. By the way, Jordan's a baby BTS, but yes, <laughs> she, just, she just got her BTS. So yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it's kind of an intense process. And then, uh, by the way, your work was super cool with how excited they were that you got your. Oh, like, I know. It was oh. really cute. That was yeah. That was it. Was funny because my boss was like, "Do you care if I share this video?" And I was like. No, I mean, it's like, I mean, aside from obviously getting married and having my kids, it was one of the greatest days of my life. <laughs> nice. It's up yeah. there with that. Uh, I don't know if we'll put a link to the video, but it's very cute. I'll, I'll yeah. see if I can find it and maybe put a link in the notes if you want to see too, how because awesome they were. There was a couple comments about the chair that I was like leaning on when I got the phone call about how it was like looking rough. And so my boss went and bought a new chair because of that. <laughs> And then like in the comments underneath that video, he's like, we bought a new chair. And like, he, he made this like big thing about it. It was, he was very proud of himself. Once, once we celebrate and get our BTS, what, I mean, what it means for us, I, I don't know about you, but I was able to negotiate a raise at work, which was great. Yes. And then that first year afterwards, I, I spoke at one of the international conferences. So ACVIM. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I like speaking at conferences. I was a teacher for about, oh gosh, five years, I think. And so speaking at conferences to me is super fun. I'm kind of dorky like that, which is funny because I didn't used to be like, I I had to work up to it. (laughs) It was not like natural for me to be like, Hey, let me just go speak in front front of a bunch of people. I think Jordan, have you have you talked at conferences or anything? I have not done a conference yet. I applied to, so I guess we'll wait and see what happens there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I've spoken at a couple different like clinics around my area, just with like helpful tips about things. Um, I do enjoy doing that. Okay. Of course, I've been writing articles, and hopefully, we'll be having one published here soon. Nice. Yeah. And writing articles is, is, is awesome. Um, I don't think, I mean, other than on our website, mm-hmm. um, and then with ACVIM, I haven't done articles, but you know, that's something that we've kind of talked about that we might do a little bit more of. Yeah. Um, but you know, as a, as a technician specialist, we can do that. You know, we also can do race approval or not race approval, excuse me, race approved um, continuing education without having a doctor, which is really cool. Yeah. I think it opens the doors for us to just help educate people a little bit more. And obviously our skills are on point and have to be in order to get this credential. (laughs) I would hope so. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like we have to be able to actually do a job well in the hospital, but outside of the hospital, it leads, it opens doors for like education. Yeah. Um, There's not many of us. I think the last time I looked for small animal internal medicine, I believe there's around 120. So that's international. Yeah. So there's, there's not many of us. (laughs) So we get to 
wear that little badge of honor. Right. And then, you know, the other part of that equation is the doctors when they are diplomats. Mm -hmm. So I work with, I work in a larger hospital. So I have three internists, internal medicine doctors that I work with. I think, how many did you have at yours? I have two internists and then the building itself does have like an oncologist and a neurologist. Okay. One of each. Okay. (laughs) My clinic or my hospital, I should stop saying clinic because it's a hospital. We only do specialty medicine. We don't have general practice. And that's pretty common, I believe, for most specialty clinics, especially hospitals. So we have the three internists. We have, I think we have three oncologists now, which is kind of crazy. We have a cardiologist, a neurologist, three surgeons, a dermatologist, Wow. And, yeah. And then our emergency team. We have a lot of doctors. There's a lot of staff. It's it's 24-7. I, the place you're at is 24-7, right? Like not yes. your department, but the, the building. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the building's always open. Yeah. And, that, and that's pretty common for specialty. So my diplomats, I have three of them. They go through, they get their doctorate in veterinary medicine. And then they also do more schooling on top of it. They do residencies and intern, uh, interns, and, and, then, and then they have more of a test that they do as well. So, um, Yeah, on top of their already, I'm a doctor test, they need a, <laughs> I'm a specialist test. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this week's tip of the week is going to kind of tie into what we've been talking about. So the biggest, the biggest things that we recommend is whatever you decide to do with your path, make sure to use an AVMA approved program. Um, There's definitely some programs out there that are not approved. And then if you want to sit and get your license, you may not be able to without more schooling. You know, our profession, it's growing leaps and bounds. It's kind of crazy how much it's growing. So continuous learning is huge. I love going to CEs. I don't know about you, but I, I love it. I, I mean, like you have the recommended amount of hours that you're supposed to get to keep your license. Um, but I always get more. I just like the lessons and it's, I wish veterinary staff needs to realize it's not just for people who hold a license. Even if you're an assistant and you don't, you're not required to get it. It's, it's always worth going to listen to some sort of new lecture to learn about the new things and the changes in the veterinary world. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, so, uh, and there, and, and if you can't go to like a giant conference, you know, consider the stuff locally. Um, a lot of the tech associations or even veterinary associations in the area, whether it's, you know, your county, your state or whatever, they also have continuous education um, classes. Uh, the other like universities, like, I'm close, well, kind of close to UC Davis Mm -hmm. um, and they always have stuff, you know, different educational events and then online, um, online CE is awesome. Um, I I think you and I talked about this at one point. There's a, I think it was vet med team. Yes. Um, the small animal internal medicine one that Liza does. Shout out to Liza because she's amazing. Right. That one is amazing. <laughs> yeah. We both took it and it, and it helped us tremendously um, with getting our specialty license. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, you know, consider moving up in the field, whether that's, you know, going into management um, because you love that, or maybe you're going to run the social media for your hospital, which is huge. Um, You know, that helps get the word out about your clinic, specializing. So there's, again, there's 16 different specialties and there are definitely some that you can do within your practice, even if you're just a general practice and, and, and just being, you know, it's not really just, but even if you are a general practice and not a specialty hospital, you can still specialize and up your skills and up your game. Um, so mm-hmm. just remember that's an option. Any other tips that you want in the, in that field? No, I mean, I think honestly, just the like, continued learning is the biggest one just whether like I mean even front office has there's always sort of like some sort of like client communication education and um, there's always something to learn about and online has great resources like you said the conferences are great and then also just reach out I think we briefly talked about reaching out to like outside like Facebook groups and stuff cautiously and then yeah, I, I would say with Facebook groups, take some of them with a grain of salt mm-hmm. because one of the big things that is prevalent in our industry, because it's a lot of girls, mm-hmm. there is definitely a little bit of that. I don't know. How, I, like I don't know how to put it, but yes, there's that. Where there's clicks and then yeah everybody gets really intense try not to focus on the bad stuff you know like but if you can like reach out and find that one technician I know like I've I reached out to you when I was studying and it was it's one of those things where you can find someone to reach out to to like ask questions to or um, just ask for a little bit of help like hey I want to learn a little bit more about this and it looks like you know what you're talking about so I'd like to reach out and um so that is always an option too. That's the thing that I grasp from the Facebook groups is to see who seems willing to give good advice. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. That a hundred percent. Yeah. Mentoring doesn't need to always be just for like wanting to specialize. So yeah. And then I guess the the things to know, the cautions about our job. So the biggest thing I think is gonna be on the job injuries. So you guys I mean, if you work in the field, you know about it. Bites, scratches, back injuries. I think <laughs> I think Jordan has a, a war story about some bites and scratches. So I'll let you dive into that one. Yeah, um, bites, cat bites are the worst. You'll hear that if you go to school. I heard it in school, but it was one of those things. Well, once you got in the field, like, oh, it's not that bad. It's that bad. Um, <laughs> especially cat bites, just because they do harbor a little bit more bacteria than a normal dog. But any dog bite or cat bite, I strongly recommend immediately going and seeking medical help and not being stubborn about it because I did end up having a cat bite that got pretty bad and I was in and out of the hospital for months. Mm. Um, and ended it with still nerve damage and chronic pain. And so in my hand, so it does affect my normal day to day. And it gave me that wonderful cat allergy of that. I wasn't allergic to cats prior to coming into this career, but the cat bite, because I had such a bad reaction to it. Now I've developed an allergy to cats. Wow. Yeah. But yeah. And then obviously the longer you do this career of lifting things and and stuff like that, the more you need to be aware yeah. And take, and take care of yourself. Like if you, if you feel something, just take a step back and be like, Hey, 
let's, let's regroup. Maybe, you know, talk to your doctor about giving some sort of sedation for that dog. That's crazy. Right. So that's, that's stuff we just have to be careful of. Yeah. Along those lines, personal protective equipment, we all know about that. You know, make sure you're wearing your radiology gown and gloves and glasses and thyroid thyroid shield shield and and all that. You know, making sure you're wearing gloves for gross stuff. Like, I I get (laughs) it's not human, you know, things that we're dealing with, but there is a potential for us to get zoonotic diseases and, and not even know sometimes that something's present. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll share my zoonotic disease story because I, I always used to share this with my students. I somehow, I don't know how because I did not have a bite or a scratch within the time window of the appropriate length of time. I got Bartonella. So Bartonella is cat scratch fever, cat scratch disease. Mm-hmm. And I was the half percent of the population that instead of having your, your typical, you know, swelling, vomiting, diarrhea kind of thing, I got, <laughs> I got retinal swelling. And so I actually had, I lost vision in my left eye. I had like a black hole in the middle of my vision um, for several months. Um, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was interesting. It took a while to figure out, but I was very, very excited to learn that I did not have a brain aneurysm cancer. Right? <laughs> You're like, oh, it's just a zoonotic disease. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, and he's like, oh, you don't have gonorrhea, syphilis, but you do have Bartonella. And I just started laughing because I'm like, seriously? I just, <laughs> I, I got this disease from my field. Like it was just ridiculous. So thankfully most of my vision came back in my left eye, but same, same as Jordan, you know, I do have some long lasting effects in it with my vision. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's knowing how to be careful and keeping an eye on yourself and understanding, you know, yeah, exactly. You know. And I think I think everybody tries to blow off like the things like that, like, oh, I got a little bit of urine on my hands or I got a little scratch or I got like a little bite. And it's it's not always the case. You never know how your body is going to react to something. So and you yeah. don't know all the time what an animal has. And um, so, yeah, it, it can be scary, but you just got to try to protect yourselves. Yeah. And we'll, we'll dive into some zoonotic diseases more in depth later and like Definitely. probably their own episodes. Um, but that's just something, you know, as working in the field, we have to be aware of and yes. just remember that there are, there are potential issues. Yes. The other thing to know about working in this field, I'm sh- if you work in it, you already know. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it is the pay. Um, you know, we can't, there's no way to sugarcoat it. We're not in the human field, so we don't make human field money. But we'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in depth at some point. But understanding that um, you can ask for a certain amount of pay when you're going into a clinic. Mm-hmm. And that's on you, on what your what you demand for what you want to do. Mm-hmm. The other thing, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit is improving your skills so that your employer sees what your worth is and then make Definitely. a point to let them know. They may not realize that you're doing things or they don't stop and think about it, right? Yeah, definitely. It's so easy for like, especially like a small clinic or like a small general practice for the one doctor who's running the entire show to like skim over the fact that their staff is super helpful or that someone is going and taking an extra step to get 
CE with their own money and like learning a little bit more and really trying to improve themselves. So don't be afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a ton of things we can learn, I think, to help promote ourselves too. Cause I, I think that's, it's hard for everyone to do that. You know, we love what we do, but, but we also have to live. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll dive into that. I think in depth at some point too. And the last thing that I'm sure is a big subject and, and we call, kind of all know that is mental health in our our field um, because of compassion fatigue or ethical fatigue, mm-hmm. um, kind of depending on, you know, what what's going on. But we all go through it because of just the nature of the things that we see day in, day out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's difficult. It's difficult knowing that like you want to help this pet, but you can't because people don't have money or the people have money and they don't want to help this pet. It's it's very, it can be challenging. And then of course you have the clients who are mad because you don't help their pet for free, but they don't, you know, it, it's a very challenging thing. And I'm sure we'll probably have an episode just on mental health alone. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I think mental health and just taking care of ourselves would be a great episode. At some Definitely. Point. <laughs> Things you can do to improve your, your mental well-being in and out of the hospital. Yes. It's the tip of the week. In our show notes, we'll definitely put some resources. So remember your ABMA, NAFTA, um, local associations, the mentors, we talked about that as well, Facebook groups. And then we'll have lists of websites and articles that we kind of mentioned in here. If you haven't checked out the Internal Medicine for Pet Parents blog, there there's some great articles. We talk a little bit more in depth about different levels within the hospital. So there is, there is that. Yes, definitely great resources on that website. And then of course, ways to get just a little bit more information and other resources that we recommend using. And now for the question of the week. So our question of the week this week is what's your position, job title for what you do, where you work? Where do you want to go in your career? Like, what are you willing to do to get there? Where are you and what made you decide to work in veterinary medicine? Just tell us about yourself. Leave a comment on our website and just let us know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, we, w- we want to know more about you and, you know, figure out what we can do to make things cooler for you. So definitely leave us a comment this week in our question of the week. All right. Well, thank you, Jordan, by the way. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. <laughs> I think this is our first official episode. So hopefully, hopefully you guys get stuff out of this. And we'll continue um, with our podcast next week. Anything you want to share before we head out for the day? Uh, nope. Just thanks for listening. Continue to listen. We will be talking about diseases and um, like patient care and, and just everything kind of in between. So hopefully we, it can be a little bit educational for people to and from work or just in spare time. It'd be great. But yeah, thanks for listening. It's great. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.